Hello out there, and welcome back to the Buddhist Recovery Network podcast. Sending love to everyone during this time of quarantine and solitude. You may be struggling right now, or you may be living your best life. I hope this episode today is helpful wherever you are at. This is a very special episode I recorded with three people I love dearly. I asked everyone to bring a topic and a practice to share with the community. The overarching theme ended up being weathering the storm, how we are equipping ourselves during this collective trauma. We ran out of time to record my meditation practice, so I will be sharing that separately on our Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Before we jump in, I want to let everyone know about our live recording of the podcast this Sunday, May 3rd. Carol Kano will be sharing a teaching on grounding in uncertainty at the BRN Academy, where she will be offering Buddha Dharma medicine and the cultivation of kindness. Check out BuddhistRecovery.org for more info. Recovery Dharma and 8-Step Recovery have set up BIPOC meetings and a Facebook group. If you identify as Black, Indigenous, or a person of color, you can find out info about the meetings in the Recovery Dharma BIPOC Facebook group. Hello, everyone. I want to welcome you all to this conversation today. Um, We can go ahead and start with introductions, um, and then we're going to move into conversation, and then we will take turns moving from topic to practice. Everyone here today has brought a practice or a tool that has been helpful for them moving through this current pandemic. And so we can go ahead with introductions. I'll start. My name is Valentine. I use they, them pronouns. Uh, I am based in Olympia, Washington. And the recovery modalities that I am currently a part of are recovery dharma, and Tempest Sobriety School. And I'm Cliff Cannon. I'm in Portland, Oregon. I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm most associated with Recovery Dharma lineage for uh, recovery programs, but I've dabbled in SMART and AA as well. My name is Amanda Hamp, and I use she, her pronouns. I live in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and the sobriety community and platform that I am most connected to is Tempest. I'm Stevie. I'm based out of Olympia, Washington. I use they, them pronouns. And um, the recovery programs that I participate in um, regularly are AA, 
Al-Anon and EDA, um, and they've also participated in Buddhist recovery locally. Awesome, thank you so much. Uh, Cliff, would you like to start us off today? Sure, that sounds great. Thanks, Valentine. One of the things that I've been most interested in in my experience, and I've been sequestered uh, solo, I'm going into my fifth week, um, is how we weather the storm and how I weather the storm. One of the things that I've come to appreciate and uh, uh, in in all its beauty beauty and pain is uh, the uh, the the circumstance to be with myself in this storm and it's almost as if it's an extended meditation or an extended focus time because i can see myself and how my reactions uh, emotions come and go um, i think the first thing to to do is to recognize that we're in a storm uh, we are collectively in a traumatic experience. This is a trauma. Um, and because of that, our, our rational analyzing prefrontal cortex brains are not fully online. Uh, while we might think that um, this should be a productive time, we may try to be working, we may try to be uh, learn, learn a new language or read that book that you've been wanting to do, uh, that because of the nature of the journey being an emotional one, that the important part is to uh, manage our emotional states. And that's been certainly true for me. It's been uh, a series of highs and lows, and the lows have been pretty low, and the highs have been uh, pretty pretty high, or at least stable, uh, in relativity to the, to the lows. But the surfing of this emotional journey, the surfing of the wave is really our task, I think, at this point, um, rather than looking externally to see, you know, what can I achieve? Uh, what can I do? What should I be doing? Uh, as opposed to being in my own journey now. And given that I'm sitting with myself, uh, soloed, sequestered, uh, sequestered solo, um, you know, there's a lot of opportunity to examine myself, to see my thoughts, to uh, sit with my reactive self. And I have revealed some un unbeknown to me <laughs> reactive states that I have had that have been quite intense. Uh, and so I've seen the best of myself and I've also seen the worst of myself. I guess in terms of how to, how to manage, uh, how to surf the wave, how to weather this storm is... Um, is to come back to practice. And for me, it matters less what the practice is than that we do the practice. And that has been, uh, for me, more stabilizing. I know that when I'm sitting regularly uh, during this period that I'm much more stable, much more resourced, even though I can still get uh, pushed off center or, uh, or activated in some way. I'm curious what others' experiences are. Yeah, thank you um, for int for introducing that idea. I I I really appreciate what you mentioned um, about the about this being a collective trauma. I think that's like a thing that is important to recognize, and I think it's a thing that I, um, you know, oftentimes um, I can feel like I should be more equipped for something than than maybe I am. Like. Um, I've heard, and I've heard other people share about that in the recent weeks about, um, can I'm just like going to my like 
my typical sort of response to something that's like crisis or trauma and, um, and realizing, you know, and thinking that there, maybe there's supposed to be a right way that I'm supposed to do this or like there's, it should look like this or it shouldn't look like this. And, um, and what's been really interesting is just noticing that like everyone is just responding or reacting, however you want to call it. I mean, like we're all just sort of having whatever it is that our response is. And, um, you know, for me, like in the time of crisis, like one of my way that I respond is like, I just want to fly into action and I will just get so busy and do all these things. And, um, in in an effort to try to control and to try to manage what's happening. Um, mm -hmm. and I had that response for the first couple of weeks and, and then I crashed. Cause that's always the flip side of that cycle for me is that like, I can't manage the world around me effectively on a regular day <laughs> and definitely I can't manage a global pandemic, but, <laughs> but once I was able to recognize like, that's just the response I'm having. It's just one of many different types of responses that people are having right now. And, um, and coming back to that place of like, I'm having a response because like, there's a, there's a trauma or there's a crisis happening. And, um, mm -hmm. and then sort of like acknowledging that and then trying to do the things that I do to care for myself and to get connected to be able to like move from that place um, mm -hmm. rather than feeling like I'm supposed to know how to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those expectations about how I should be navigating this. I know for myself, um, you know, I'm, I'm in personal development work. And so I get that extra level, the second dart of I'm not doing this well, or this is painful. And then I should be better at this and I should be more resourced for this. When in fact, because we're, it is trauma, um, we're not as resourced. We're in a, um, amygdala hijack. We're in fight, flight, freeze. Um, and I think as queer people, we also have this additional piece that the trauma of the pandemic leads to a threat of other trauma and ignites other trauma. Uh, for queer people, there is the heightened hypervigilance that we all already carry around uh, that is then uh, activated. And so for myself, you know, the, the reason that I started uh, uh, drinking was uh, to avoid those feelings. So when they come back uh, with this sort of uh, hypercharged pandemic um, lens on it, uh, it feels really powerful. And so, um, Steve, what you're saying about, uh, you know, being in the place where I can respond and not react um, and in being in the moment here, um, you know, part of the thing about trauma is that we're not going to make sense of it, and our minds want to make sense of things, uh, but we're not. We can't make sense of it now. We just have to be in it now, um, and that goes back to being in the emotional journey now. Focus on surfing the waves. Focus on surfing the waves. Cliff, I really appreciate you framing, beginning with trauma. It took me a while to, as my therapist said, personalize this. I was very focused on how it's traumatic for other people and basically people who don't have the privileges that I have. So I was really focused on the privileges that I have and therefore not giving myself the space to experience to have the emotional experience um, and to acknowledge this as trauma for me, not only for other people. And I have a similar pattern as you, Stevie, where my 
my response or reaction is to perform, to do a bunch of things, to be productive. And that's like a very old patterned way of how I avoid feeling my feelings. And I also appreciate you, Cliff, talking about the brain centers because I it was almost palpable the way my limbic, the limbic part of my brain was getting pressed on by these circumstances and how even though I am relatively very fortunate in my own circumstances that I was having these responses that came from childhood, like trauma-informed strengths, so to speak, <laughs> you know, that really were functional then mm -hmm. and that in recovery, I've really tried to unwire, you know, rewire um, and un move out of that well-worn groove and it's so it's been interesting to realize and then observe the ways that i'm drawing on trauma-informed strengths and how tiring they are so like you also were saying stevie that only works mm -hmm. for so long for me now before i'm exhausted or my, my immune system starts to suffer Yeah, Amanda, I love the envelope where you're, where you're going with that. Um, you know, the piece about trauma, the piece about where we are and getting hijacked. Um, and there was another piece in there that you mentioned I wanted to, to circle back on, and my prefrontal cortex is not tracking as well. But, um, you know, this piece of we're all in trauma. And from a consciousness standpoint, all 8 billion of us, there is no one in the world that is not impacted by what's going on right now. And from a consciousness standpoint, uh, that is such an interesting viewpoint that we're all in this, we're all having some experience of it, and it's all trauma related. Uh, and is that uh, are we aware of that? Is that a consciousness experience? Uh, and I really appreciate the idea of, you know, I thought I had some of this stuff uh, unwired. And now it turns out if you put me in a, a pressure cooker where I'm my only company, this is what I get to see. Oh, I don't have exactly. a handle on that at all. <laughs> so no more work to go. <laughs> and I think there's like a lot of at least for me, like, I just have to keep going back to like a really deep sense of like compassion for myself in this mm. time and, and compassion for other people too, because like the way that I'm responding is just like my personal response. And like, you know, like just with any kind of trauma, like all responses are valid, you know? And, um, I'm really grateful that like my response now is not to get, you know, to get loaded or, you know, to do some of the things that have caused a lot of pain and harm and destruction in my and other people's lives, but it's not that far away from me. It doesn't, it feels like that is a, I've had the thought recently where I'm like, why am I not doing that right now? It seems like a totally very reasonable <laughs> response <laughs> to what's happening. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and that is, and I've, and I've watched people that I love a lot who are going through that right now, who are relapsing or who are like really struggling. Um, and just trying to like have a lot of compassion for myself and other people that, that we don't know what we're doing, that this is hard. Um, 
and to just really appreciate that um, I don't have to do that in this moment. And there are other behaviors that I have relapsed on since this quarantine started. I am in recovery from an eating disorder and I just fully went back to like some behaviors that I haven't done in a while. Um, and it really sort of shocked me to be like, wow, I forgot what this felt like. Um, and why did that happen? Why did I do that? You know, is there something wrong with me? Does it mean something about the state of my recovery? Um, and I think that it's like, you know, like what you and Amanda and have mentioned, there's so many things about this that are impacting all of us and impacting everybody in their own way. Um, and to really like be really kind to myself about how this is going. Um, and that like, there isn't necessarily a map for this and that like, all these responses are valid. They aren't all necessarily um, going to be sustainable for me, though, or going to serve me or other people. And like coming from a place of like, how can I move that response just a slightly, a little bit more towards what's going to be more supportive for me, what's going to be more sustainable, and what's not going to like cause more and more trauma to happen on top of this trauma that's happening mm -hmm. right now. Um, and that is taking a lot more effort right now than it has in the last however long before this started happening and that, that is um and that's and that's okay that it's that it feels harder right now yeah i definitely relate to everything everyone is saying especially especially the response to busy ourselves pandemic started like the i just i was instantly doing it it didn't really hit for me for a while like i don't think i let it hit for me for a while a lot of my recovery was already online and a lot of what i was doing was online so at first it was just it was like oh i'm working from home but i mean i already did a lot of stuff from home as well so i it took it actually took like a couple of weeks before things slowed down enough for me that i like felt anything. I felt like I felt agitation, like, oh, I, I want to be able to do things. I want to be able to see people. And before the pandemic, I had already kind of struggled with creating space where I could create space for myself um, and instead filling it with like busyness. Because I'd complain that I just like was too busy and didn't have time. But it was like, oh, no, if I had actually if I set aside some time, I, there was definitely room for me to make space for myself. And it was interesting how that kind of came up with, with, with this. I, I like suddenly had a weekend after the pandemic hit and, and I just like binged on TV, like a whole season of something. And, and like, I hadn't done that in a while. And it, and I did that like maybe like two days in a row. And I want, I wanted to beat myself up afterwards. Like when the week started, it was like, what did I do with my weekend? But I don't know. I, by doing that, I actually started finding that, I don't know. I found myself just having like given myself the freedom to just do whatever and not care and not have structure and not be doing, even though I was just watching TV. I, I found that when I engaged in the next week, it actually, there was some, there was a benefit, something felt good. And then, and then I've taken from that, finding other ways to create space for myself and also being okay with whatever happens. And 
I ended up not wanting to binge on TV the next weekend, but I, but I started recognizing the importance of that space that I was giving myself. It's turned into me like spending extra time working out. And now I go into my little room that I have my gym equipment in and I spend an hour and a half just kind of like dancing to music and like lifting weights and then dancing to music and lifting weights. And I literally feel like I could spend all day doing that because it's like, it brings me joy just getting to the point where I'm like recognizing I want to do more of those things that bring me joy. It's still like ups and downs and all arounds for me. I think that uh, seeking joy and uh, self-care, you know, giving ourselves permission, the, the whole lens has changed, the whole world has changed. And so our, we need to be able to shift with that. Uh, Stevie, I appreciated what you said, and uh, I gained some new insight around that about you know, my, uh, my re-traumatizing myself, my, that through my behavior that I'm, some of these reactive behaviors that are coming up that I need to find more skills for is that uh, I'm actually hurting myself. It's that second dart of, um, of the Buddhist that there is pain, there is the global pandemic, but then I'm, my, my reaction to it is, is piling onto that. I don't know if that might be a good segue into um, our practice. So um, the practice I'd like to, to share with you is from Tara Brock. You can find her at uh, tarabrock.com. She is a, uh, she's a true bodhisattva. Um, I've sat with her. I've been at a conference with her and uh, really just a, uh, a gentle, beautiful soul. And one of the practices that she uses and I believe created is called the practice of RAIN, R-A-I-N. And we'll, we'll go through that in a brief practice in a moment, but each of those letters stands for a phase of the practice. And the first one is to recognize uh, what's here and simply allowing ourselves to recognize this is here now. Um, and then the A is to allow it, allow it to be here uh, in a non-judgmental way, not uh, having aversion to it, not trying to cling or grasp to it, but simply allowing it in a non-judgmental way. The I is for investigate. Uh, in this we bring a sense of curiosity, um, no prejudgment about what's happening, no decision about is this a good feeling, is this a bad feeling, is this a good experience, is this a bad experience, uh, but just checking it out uh, with curiosity. And then the N is for non-identification and nurturing that we can, from within ourselves, uh, with compassion, with awakened heart, we can offer ourselves the nurturing that whatever is arriving might be calling for. So if you'd like, uh, we, could, uh, we could walk through this practice. Uh, and you might bring to mind something that's, that's happened where you had a, uh, an emotional reaction, or you had an experience with it. And don't pick, the, don't pick something that's the hottest thing or something that is too fresh or raw, but something that you can work with uh, in a brief practice. And if you'd like, you can take a couple of deep breaths and just arrive here. You bring to mind what that experience was and recognize what's here in that experience for you.
be a sensation, be some emotion, just recognizing what is here. Holding that non-judgmental stance, we might even invite that in. And then we allow it to be there. Whatever is happening, whatever that experience is, maybe strong emotion, maybe sensation, maybe an urge to move, to do, just allow it to be there. No need to move away. No need to try and hold on to it. Just allowing. Holding a lot of spaciousness for whatever is here. And now the eye in rain is to investigate it. And this is with gentle curiosity that we investigate what is here. Notice the sensations. Is it located in a particular part of your body? Is it moving about in your body? Is there a sense of warmth? Is there a temperature? Just checking it out. What's this like? Non-judgmental curiosity. Might look underneath it. Might look at it from different angles. We're just going to check it out with curiosity. You can go as fast or as slow as you like. Just bring yourself back into that, allowing it to be here. And now we bring some nurturing and non-identification to whatever this experience is for you. Whatever is coming up. We've done the work to welcome it in, to allow it to be here. Checked it out. Looking underneath that, what is it asking for? What does it need? If I'm in a state of sadness or anger, I might say, what is that anger asking for? What does that really need underneath that? And then from my own compassion, from my own awakened heart, I can extend that nurturing to myself. I extend to myself the reassurance, the loving kindness. I might hold my six-year-old self on my lap. What nurturing is needed being asked for underneath 
the behaviors, the experience. And take a minute and go ahead and extend that nurturing to yourself. And now, having extended some nurturing to yourself, perhaps things have shifted a little bit, have some new insight, perhaps it still feels the same. Take another moment and give yourself whatever it is you need in this moment. Might be another breath, stretch, a yawn, Extend that to yourself, and when you're ready, coming out slowly, we can return to a more active state. Thank you. Thank you, Cliff. That was lovely. Thank you. What I have found is in all of my practices uh, and uh, is that finding that sacred pause to catch myself before I go over the waterfall of emotion, before I go over the cascade of feeling that if I can pause myself and that is that is my practice now to to pause and then again I can go into whatever practice I have but um, I think it matters more what the it matters less what the practice is and more that you do the practice, whatever practice you've adopted, um, than to have a particular practice or get into a critical nature about, well, I should be doing this or I should be doing that. Like whatever your practice is, uh, stay with that practice. Yeah, I agree. I think that's it's helpful. It's helpful to have multiple tools um, and different practices for different situations, but it's also like the more time I spend with the practice, the easier it is for me to pull that practice, like to use that practice when I'm having a hard time. Um, and so it is helpful for me to like regularly do the same thing so that I have different things I can pull in. Cause if you're in like, if you're in a super traumatized state or in a reactionary state and you try to use a tool you've maybe used once before, it's a lot harder, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely agree with that. I'm seeing in this the uh, when I get pulled off center, when I find myself in a reactive state, I think, oh, you know, it's in those times that I've been sitting regularly, in the times that I've been meditating, it's there when I need it. And if if I'm not doing it, it's not there when I need it, or it's not as readily accessible to your point uh, mm -hmm. when I need it. Cliff, that was really lovely. Thank you. And it, in a way, leads into what I'm curious about right now, which is what are people do, like, what are you doing as practical ways of weathering the storm or weathering the emotional journey of this? And I, I hear you on the, like, the, 
tools that I have a longer term or like deeper relationship with are things I can turn to right now are things that I can count on. Actually, Cliff, the thing that came out of the rain practice for me at the end, the nur the um, nurturing and the need was stability. And so what is like my most stable practice or the thing that I know I can, I can provide myself so that I can count on myself to give to myself, right? Um, so in a way that suggests the, the like regular thing. So my like sitting meditation every day is something I've been doing for some time. I'm having a very different experience of it in the last five weeks. Um, it's been much more, I've had a much busier mind during sitting. So I've altered it slightly in that I start with breath of fire for three minutes, um, this um, forced exhale, breathing for three minutes in a way to get my wiggles out or to try to get my body um, to have a different experience, like a kind of intense experience in hopes that my mind can settle a little bit more. So I'm, so I'm curious about what you've, what are the practices, the things that you're doing that are steady, that are carryovers from pre-pandemic periods for you? And then are there, there are things that you've started doing in the last, you know, week to five weeks that you've realized that you need, that you didn't need before? And the question kind of comes from, so by training, I'm a dancer and writer and teacher, and our nervous system learns both through repetition and novelty. And so I've been like, oh, yes, there are things that I need to repeat right now, but also I need, I've had to introduce some novel things in order to support myself. Yeah. So I'm curious, what are, what have your practices been? What are the things you're doing? First couple of things that came to mind while you were um, talking about that, like what, like what practices are we doing? I don't know if this counts, but being of service has been huge for me finding ways for me to be of service in this time um and and i've gotten kind of creative with it there's been a couple uh like game nights that i hosted for people that are doing a lot of work right now because of the pandemic a lot of people that are holding a lot of space i was like hey you guys are doing so much can i can i have a virtual game night and just host you to help you laugh you know um and yeah, supporting the Recovery Dharma community in Olympia and getting that online. Um, it was it was stressful, but it was also it just it felt nice. It felt nice that I was able to throw myself into helping the community and and making sure people had a place to to be to talk and um, share and meditate together. Um, and then walks going on walks that's not that's something that i fight in general like going on a walk never sounds nice to me i don't it's just it's silly but i i mean i like being outside but usually i tend to be outside when i'm going to and from somewhere and that feels like enough so i you know i i i longboard but i longboard to work and i longboard home and i do that multiple times a day usually um or the same with biking, you know, I usually bike somewhere. I'm not like just going on a leisurely bike ride. Um, but since the pandemic 
started. I, you know, I'm allowing my boyfriend to drag me out of the house more to go on walks and I'm dragging myself more out to go on walks as well. And there's actually a really cute trail, like right by the water, just like right next to my house. I walk a couple blocks and I'm like right next to the water and there's ducks everywhere and it's gorgeous. And, um, I've been jogging outside more. Um, but yeah, making myself get outside. Like I still, I don't beat myself up too much when I don't get outside. There's still days I don't get outside. Um, but I do find that, you know, even if I don't want to go on the walk, I, I notice that there's a, there's a difference in my energy afterwards. And it almost feels like the energy moves from in the upper regions of my body to like my feet, you know, it's just like, I, I walk, I walk the energy out and then I come home and I'm in a different state and I forget that I even didn't want to go on a walk to begin with. I probably wouldn't admit it, you know? Um, so those are two things I found myself doing. Yeah, I, those are, this is really nice. Um, I also, <laughs> I also really, yeah, I appreciate like the thing that I said about being of service. I've also been, that's been a big focus. That's been really helpful. I've also been helping set up meetings and getting people switched to online. Um, and, and also just like, I'm, I've noticed that I'm like reaching out to people a lot more than I was both like people that I'm just friends with that I want to talk to. I haven't talked in a while. Um, also, and also like just reaching out to people that are a part of the recovery communities that I'm in that are like newer or just like, are like, you know, when there's like somebody that comes to a group, that's like, this is my first time here. Like I'm more likely to reach out to them. Um, than I was before. Part of it is because a lot of it's over Zoom and we've been sharing numbers in a different way. And I think like usually the mean like I go to a lot of 12 sub groups, as I said, and a lot of times we'll like pass around a phone list and people will put their number on it and then we'll give it to that person. And then it's like, you know, that then it's kind of on that person to like reach out to people more. And like that happened to me when I was new. And like I the first time I came to 12 step rooms, I like, don't think I ever called anybody <laughs> from this list. When I came back in after a relapse, um, after like stopping going for like a year or so, like I did it more cause I knew that was a thing that was like helpful, but, um, but it's been kind of nice to just like text somebody and be like, hi, I saw you on this meeting. How is, how are you doing? Um, and that has been really cool because it helps me get centered and like, even though I might be having a hard time, like there's other things that I do have a little bit of like stability around that, like maybe somebody else is like trying to figure out how do I feel stable with this thing right now in this time. And like, and then it also is getting me to like connect with people more where um, if I'm really struggling, I'm more likely to like talk to somebody else about it and not just feel like I'm having my own personal like crazy time like I'm not personally crazy or like personally struggling that like this is a it just is a reminder that this is like a collective experience um I also love the thing about going on walks I've been doing that a ton um and just honestly like one of the things that I love like being in my body is like a really important thing for me it's taken it feel like it's just had to learn so much about how to be in a body and like how to be okay with with my body how to be okay with what's happening with my body inside my body emotionally what's happening with it physically um 
and bodies change all the time, right? And um, right now there's things that are happening that are like causing changes in how my body feels or like the way I'm used to experiencing it or what I'm used to being able to do with it. And um, and so like really trying to get grounded in like um, just remembering that like there's always, there's things that I can do um, to like tend to that, to tend to myself and to be, meet myself exactly where I'm at. Um, and one of the things I'm really grateful for from learning from sort of like meditation practice is um, to be able to appreciate like the really small. And I feel like my world was like really big and I was being really expansive and participating in life in this like much different way. And now I'm being asked to like kind of really rein it in and like stay in a small place. And so when I go for walks or when I'm like doing things with my body um, or when I'm out in the world, it's like the focus is a lot smaller and like that's been really nice to notice just like the little things and one of them is like all the plants and all the trees and all the flowers I feel like I'm having there have been points in my life and points in like my recovery where I've had that kind of relationship where I'm just like visiting with them all the time and like <laughs> um, just like noticing you know like the bud that's opening like a little bit more every single day and like that is a diff really different relationship to have with like the world around me and it helps me have a really different relationship with myself and my body and my experience. Um, and that is just sort of like being able to happen now more than it has been when I was feeling really busy. And that has been super, super grounding for me and super helpful right now um, to notice that the world is moving at a pace. Like the, the non-human world is like moving at a pace that's more like the pace I'm being asked to move at right now. And that that is great and fine. And like I'm not missing out on anything, you know. I appreciate uh, Stevie in particular, like seeing the rhythm of nature um, as a reminder that things are unfolding. It's like, oh yeah, the, all the trees are blossoming and just standing underneath a, a cherry blossom or one of those magnolias that has those big flowers. And it's like, oh yeah, this is all unfolding. Things are still unfolding um, and that I can trust that there is there's an unfolding here. Many of the things that have already been said, I've been uh, holding a lot of space and being friendly with myself, but also a friendly discipline. So making sure that I take a walk. That's one of the things that I've um, promised to myself and offered to myself is to take a walk every day. And even, even when I don't feel like it, um, because like you, Valentine, I always come back and I'm glad that I did it. And sometimes I'll take another one in the day. Um, and uh, Amanda, I really appreciated that. Um, Maybe the practices are giving something to myself. It's it's like uh, like so. Another practice I have is taking baths now. So I'll take a bath, or I'll take uh, more than one or two or three showers a day. It's just like to go ahead and recognize that that is self soothing and that I can do that for myself. But I love that you're pointing to, you know, meditation is something I'm giving to myself, much like a bath or much like a walk. It's like something that I'm giving to myself. Um, and also, Amanda, the, you mentioned the. Um, adapting our practices, right? It's like being in our practices in real time. In a way, this is what we've all been practicing for, right? is this swept off center oh, world you. that we're in. So, love all that. Lots of wisdom. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I like the, when thinking about give, like something we're giving to ourselves. Um, and I like to think of that as also like holding space for ourselves because that's something, and I, and that helps me because I, I feel like I know how to hold space for other people and I do that in my life, but I 
find that I have a harder time holding space for myself. But if I think about that intentionally, I'm like, how can I hold space for myself? Um, that can be really helpful for me. And baths are glorious. Oh my gosh. That's like, I, I have a hard time allowing myself that for some reason, but when I do. It's just like, I go to like a whole nother mind state. <laughs> Maybe just one, one of the last things I'll add that's just occurred to me. I've, um, there have been a couple of workshops, and specifically they've been around, uh, there's the Ignite Festival, which is, um, there's a lot of sexological work that happens, kind of sex magic that happens at that workshop, and it moved online. Uh, and, and what comes to mind, I realize that as I'm being myself, walking around my condo and being solo, that that relationship that community and queer community to be able to um be myself see myself reflected in some way um is so important um and hard to sort of curate a bit because there's so much social media there's so much zoom there's every opportunity and everything has moved online that another thing that i'm doing is i'm allowing myself to unplug and i'm allowing myself to say yes to something and i'm saying no to others i i, I can't I can't take care of the whole global pandemic. I, as you said, Stevie, it's, you know, I can do some check-in calls a day. I can do some Zoom calls a day. I can do other things for myself, but I cannot do it all. Word, Cliff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm learning. Um, yeah, it's, it's nurturing to listen to you and what you're doing. Um, this, would you like to do another practice? Are you ready for that? Another thing. Um, this is a, this is a practice comes from a practice called open source forms. And I, my teacher in the work is Stephanie Skura and she's based in Seattle, um, in Auburn, Washington, actually. And its predecessor is Skinner Releasing Technique, which was created by Joan Skinner, who's also in Seattle. And it's an imagery-based movement practice, um, and movement can be only in the mind's eye. So it could be that the body's moving, but there can be a lot of movement that happens only in the imagination. And so I'll um, verbally guide us through it and you can participate. This is a thing. Um, one of the things I love about this work is how much permission there is in it. And that's a thing I need to learn. And it feels tied to just what you were saying about, can I give myself the things that I'm giving others? Um, can I offer myself acts of service? Can I hold space for myself? Um, so there's, there's a lot of permission in this work and that's the thing I'm always learning is to give myself permission and even more permission. Um, and what's another thing that I want to say about it? That, uh, yeah, another thing that I'm learning from all the time is the wisdom of the body. So even though I've trained as a dancer, I'm, my mind is still very, very bossy. And I have to practice a lot to um, listen to my body. 
So to trust that however your body or your system is receiving the words and the information is exactly right. Okay. So we can begin, you can do this while sitting. Um, also, you're invited to either lie on the floor if that's more comfortable for you or to begin standing on our feet and allowing the eyes to close if you're comfortable with that. And if you are standing on your feet, you can begin swaying from side to side, shifting the weight from one foot to the other as the feet, the tissues of the feet begin to soften and become supple. So whether we're lying or sitting or standing, tissues of the feet softening and becoming supple. In the toes and the heels, the insides and the outsides of the feet softening, becoming supple. And the softening moves through our whole selves, moves into our ankles. Tissues of the ankles softening and becoming supple. Tissues of the knees softening and becoming supple. For standing, we might be swaying. For sitting or lying, you can allow any movement to happen, but stillness is also perfect. Tissues of the upper leg softening. Tissues of the hip softening and becoming supple. Tissues at the front of the torso, the front of the ribs, those tissues can soften. Tissues of the whole back softening and becoming supple. Tissues of the shoulders can soften in the fronts and the backs of the shoulders. Tissues along the arms softening and becoming supple. In our hands too, those tissues can soften, become supple somehow. And if you're able, one of our hands can go to the tissues at the back of the neck. Those tissues at the back of the neck can soften and become supple. Our head or our skull might move on our spine a bit. From side to side. The jaw might soften and open a bit.
And with the hand at the tissues at the back of the neck or with an echo of that touch at the back of the neck, can melt our way into the floor or onto your bed and onto our back. Melting onto your back, whether that's on the floor or on a bed, or if it's better for you, melting into sitting. And if you prefer to remain standing, that works as well. And here on the floor, on our backs, or sitting or standing with all of our tissues softening, there are directional patterns of energy that can move in and around and through us. And this happens without any effort. The skull can float and rise freely from the neck. The shoulders can drop toward the feet and open to the sides. The ribs in front can drop toward the feet. The whole back can melt or expand backward. And the legs can melt and dangle long and away from the pelvis. And wherever we are with our eyes closed, we can see ourselves in our mind's eye, standing on our feet with these awarenesses. So even as we remain where we are, seeing ourselves standing on our feet with the skull floating and rising freely from the neck. The shoulders dropping toward the feet and opening to the sides. The ribs in front dropping toward the feet. The whole back melting or expanding backward. And the legs melting and dangling long and away from the pelvis. And as we're ready, can take a melting rise to standing on your feet or melting return back into the room, to your chair, to your previous activity or your next activity. And as you do, the skull floating and rising freely from the neck. As you move and transition, the shoulders dropping toward the feet and opening to the sides. Ribs in front dropping toward the feet. Whole back melting or expanding backward. 
and legs melting and dangling long and away from the pelvis. These are awarenesses that can continue to echo as you move through the rest of our days. So we take those walks. As we look at the leaves changing. And as you're ready, allowing the eyes to open if they haven't yet. And thank you for your time and going there. Thanks for offering that, Amanda. Yeah, what a beautiful practice. Thank you so much. It was was nice to stand up and to melt (laughs) and to move. Yeah. Feeling really grateful for practices to help me get into my body and to help me get back in touch with all the different parts of my body. yeah, uh, I definitely have one of the th- one of the like kind of hallmarks of like a lot of the things that I've had to go to recovery programs for is um, one of the symptoms that I struggle with a lot is dissociation, and um, so practices that help me get back into my body um, are really a big deal. Yeah, so that's been a big those. Practices like that have been super, super helpful. Meditation, movement practices. Um, yeah. And um, I don't know, kind of to sort of continue the conversation that we were having, one of the things that was that Cliff mentioned a few minutes ago was about, um, like, you know, there's all these things that have now moved online and, like, there's so much more available than ever was before. Um, and also, like, the necessity to also have to disconnect too at some points. Um, and yeah, I've been like involved in, (laughs) I'm involved in three different recovery communities, which seems pretty insane sometimes. Um, and if I, you know, I think, I think to a large extent, like we, like accepting what works for each of us is just sort of like a thing that we all have to come to in our own time. And for right now, that's what's working for me. Um, and also there's so many other things that I like to participate in, especially a lot of movement and dance practices, um, and meditation. And there's a million things right now that are available that didn't seem this close and this available before. And there's all these things that are free and there's all these like cool teachers that are like doing these workshops and all this stuff. And like, um, you know, at first I got really excited and I was like, I want to do all the things. Um, and, you know, and I'm also like, um, you know, I was just on spring break kind of when this started, but I'm a full-time student. I also have a job that I work in the evenings and weekends, um, you know, and I'm participating in these recovery communities. Um, and I want to have a life <laughs> you know, like with friends, I have hobbies and things. Um, 
So trying to find balance in all of this um, is, I think, a, a really interesting thing that's that's coming up for me. And like, uh, like a lot of what I think a lot of these practices and a lot of these programs and things that I participate in, like what they're all, one of the things that I, that I get to learn is simply how to like, how to pivot, how to be more flexible, um, and how to like be able to kind of like roll with things as they change. And a lot for me in the various like addictions that I've had and struggled with, um, a lot of it is like wanting to, to find some like, sense of security and some sense of like stability that's like consistent. It's never going to change. I can always count on it. It's always going to make me feel a certain way. It's going to do a certain thing for me. Um, and the consequence of like looking for that like thing that doesn't really exist. Um, you know, there's just, everything's changing. Like life is constant change and constantly in flux. Um, and looking for something that's going to stay the same, looking for something that's always going to provide me the thing that I want or the kind of relief that I want in the way that I want, um, can be really has led to like a lot of, uh, additional stress. And when I've relied on certain behaviors or substances in order to try to produce that stability, or when I've tried to get it all from one person or one community or in one really particular way, um, what happens is that my life just starts to become really, it starts to feel really out of, um, out of balance. And like in 12 step, we talk about life becoming, starting to feel unmanageable. And, um, so one of the things that has been interesting in this time is, um, you know, noticing that there's all these communities that are available and there's all these things that are available. Um, and what is my relationship to that right now is a big thing because I can't, I was getting these like really intense headaches when I first started having to do everything over zoom. Um, it was making me feel like really, it was making it feel really hard. I really wanted to like see people face to face and stay connected. And at the same time, um, I was getting, having extreme physical pain from doing that. Um, and so, um, trying to find what's necessary, understand that like there's a level of isolation in a physical way that I am not into right now. <laughs> It's not my preference to have to communicate with people through a screen. Um, there's things that I have to do to keep myself safe. Um, my job is that I live in a community with all elderly people. And so I have to be really, really careful. Um, and so like one of the things that's been coming was like, how do I feel connected or how do I feel um, what support is available? What resources are available in like a physical way? But also, like, what are the ways that I feel connected and supported and resourced, even if I, even if I can't access those things right now, in the way that I'm used to, or even if I can't access them as much as maybe I would think I would like to. Um, so yeah, I'm just curious what people's feelings are about that. You know, like, how do you feel connected and resourced, and are those things that have to come from outside, or like, what are the ways that like, what's the balance between where they come from from within us and how we still also. Um, get those needs met from human connection, which is really vital for, for all humans. Well, I love what you're pointing to Stevie with the, um, so that pull to connect and sort of rewiring ourselves for what online connection feels like. And 
I've been fascinated by how to create connection and how how connected can I feel over over a Zoom call, over a WhatsApp call, over over a FaceTime call. Uh, whether that's um, propping up my phone and falling asleep with somebody else on the other end on their phone, uh, by cuddling with someone on, on the other side, you know, what? How how can I stretch that to feel connected? And recognizing that it's not the same, it's not what I want it to be, which is sort of a interesting process of life. That you know, it's impermanence. It's not. It's not liking the way things are and wanting to change them. Um, and then also accepting that, oh, well, this is, this is connection. This is what we have, and this is what I can do. Yeah, this last year for me, um, moving my recovery online and developing friendships online uh, was like a, a big part of it. So it's, it's almost like I was preparing for this a year in advance. Uh, first, I joined the Buddhist Recovery Network board and, you know, we, we meet online monthly and that became a big, uh, you know, big part of my recovery. And that's where I started using Zoom first. Um, and then later I joined Tempest Sobriety School, which is a recovery resource that's completely online. Um, and attending Tempest Labs, which are what they call the uh, our our meetings, um, and then through both those programs, I you know I've been developing relationships outside of just the meetings and outside of the board meetings, um, and like I don't know, so people, I, I I've been it, it's at first I totally remember being like mm, I online things like I wasn't. I, I just thought it, like Tempest originally when I joined, I was like, oh, well, I want to get this wisdom, but like, I'm not going to actually have a connection with people. I never expected Tempest to become my main recovery program, not even almost. Um, and yeah. And so it is fascinating to me that I do feel like I can get a lot of my needs met, a lot of my socialization and connection needs met by i mean video chatting i mean i also feel like an old person because i was like it took me so long to get into like video chatting like i thought it was weird and it made me uncomfortable and now i'm like i don't care what i look like i prefer you know seeing faces because it's you know it's just nice it's nice to have that like basically like eye to eye connection you know, face-to-face -face connection. Um, and you get to like, I don't know, one of my first uh, Zoom friendships, I guess. Uh, I We like, we met, me and my friend met online and I showed them my house. I was just, I just showed them, I was like, here's my table, here's my chairs, here's my couch, here's, here's my bedroom, here's my bathroom. I was just like, so excited to share all of that. Um, so yeah, I hope I'm answering the question. <laughs> but yeah, that's so it's yeah, it's interesting how I mean, but yeah, I touch and cuddle. That's I, you know, that you can't really get that, you know. Um 
And I have like, before COVID, I was able to travel and visit people that I was friends with online. Um, it It's interesting having some of us on here that that are like spending a lot of time alone. And then I don't know, Amanda, if you are similar to me where I, I literally don't have any time alone now because I'm here with my partner. Um, and that is, I don't know, it's been challenging at some points and then it's been like, obviously a huge blessing in other points. And so. Yeah, I'm, I want to ask you maybe later Cliff about the festival that you said ignite and how I wonder how that went transferred mm -hmm. to online. Yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to give a little snippet of it uh, now and talk about it later as well. Um, it was a little awkward at first uh, because it, it is based on a lot of physical presence. So uh, massage workshops, intimacy workshops, uh, you know, really building and relying on that physical presence. And we did an opening ritual. There were workshops and that all worked surprisingly well. Uh, Valentine, like you're saying, you know, there were connections made and there were, um, uh, you know, energy and spirit exchanged. Um, and, you know, adapting ourselves. Uh, it's so interesting. At one point, one of the practices that we had was half of the workshop looked into their camera because one of the things about the technology is I can't look into your eyes and you can't look into my eyes directly because of the camera location, but I can look into my camera and then you can look into my eyes um, in that way. Uh, and then, then flipping so that we were able to, okay, now you do it. So I can look in and we feel that energetic exchange. Um, so I think it is, it's figuring out how the, uh, Amanda, you mentioned adaptability uh, before, you know, how, how do I find it? Um, where do I find it? And the idea of, of, of adaptability too, Stevie, and I think in terms of Valentine, maybe you mentioned as well that, you know, I, I don't have touch, I don't have cuddle from someone else, but I've also found that, you know, I've started massaging my feet more. I was like, well, wait, I can massage my feet. <laughs> so, you know, I can, uh, I gave myself a leg massage. I was doing some workout the, the other day. So, so finding and really defining this new relationship with myself, with my body and, Maybe in some way saying how I am self-resourced. You know, I I can, I can uh, love myself. I can give myself affection. I can uh, give myself healing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean one of one of the things that happens in one of the Tempest Labs. Uh, I mean, we begin with uh, some kind of meditation or grounding practice, but um, one lab leader has us hug ourselves. And not not just during COVID, but prior to. And I really think I had never hugged myself until then, like with the intention of like, I am hugging. I'm giving myself a hug. I'm receiving a hug from myself. <laughs> so that's another practice. Um, I love the like inner resources, outer resources, especially in a recovery context because or like in this recovery context, because I mean, that's what substance use is, right? It's like reaching outside of ourselves for soothing or for, you know, whatever um, need that that needs to be met. And 
I mentioned before adding this breath practice to my prior to my or the beginning of my sitting meditation. And I've like really turned to breath as a way to soothe myself um, or to be present, to give myself a, a way to be present with myself. Um, yeah, and to soothe that it's like an elixir, even though at other moments, you know, having popcorn for dinner is the elixir. Like I, I am reaching out. I'm very much reaching outside of myself for soothing these days, but also reaching inside myself, you know, and like trying to not be judgmental about which one of those is quote unquote better. <laughs> um, but just allowing myself to do both and, I, that I, so yeah, I'm Tempest is my recovery community and it it is online. There are IRL meetings are not happening now, obviously, but they're called bridge club. Um, I've never attended one of those. There isn't one. I know <laughs> I've never attended one of those because there isn't one in Albuquerque. Um, but so my recovery experience has been entirely online and yet um in terms of like the the meetings that i go to but it's i do i have experienced that healing can happen in that space energy can be exchanged in that space genuine vulnerability can happen in that space and you know i went to an alan i there was substance alcohol abuse in my um home of origin and my parent went into recovery when I was a teenager. And at that time, I absolutely refused, even though I was forced to attend, I refused to participate in the family meetings, like in the family support meetings. But I elected when I was in my, I think when I was 30, you know, so half a lifetime later, um, 15 years later, to go to an Al-Anon meeting. And when I walked into that space, I experienced a kind of safety. I was like, oh, this is what it feels like to feel safe. And it was a Tempest lab online, a queer lab happening in Zoom near the end of Tempest Sobriety School that I had that feeling again of, oh, like I am held here, I can be myself here and it's safe to do that and it was remarkable to me to to experience that and for that experience to sort of flash back to one I had 10 years ago when I went into an Al-Anon room so while you know there are these limitations like there are limitations and we need touch and we need to be in proximity like while this is no not a substitute that you know to be I'm super grateful that it offered like it give it provides as much as it does and Valentine you reference like I do I have a spouse um and I've been very grateful to have a human to be with a human and my two dogs um I'm learning a lot from the dogs our relationship, you know, we, I mean, this feels like a whole other podcast. <laughs> um, 
I've been very, very grateful to have a human who I get, you know, get to be around. And that's one of the privileges I was referring to early on in our session. Touch is different in this context, though. I'll say that too. Like, it's a different thing. I mean, you know, oof. So, I yeah. I mean, one one practice yeah. I've been doing for a long time that that also is taking on new valences right now is I do Abhyanga, which is the an Ayurvedic practice of oiling the the whole body. And I do it every day before I shower. And I've been doing a different, I don't know if different, but I've been tending more, I think, when doing it. I've also transitioned to doing it at night that I'm showering, bathing at night instead of in the morning since I'm not like going out and being around people. And so it's a nighttime thing for me now. And it's, yeah, like oiling my body before I get in the shower. And that kind of touch is... I don't know. I don't know quite the words for it right now, but I've noticed it feels different in this pandemic context. Amanda, I, I like how when you talked about um, like feeling safe in the meetings and feeling safe when you went to the uh, Al-Anon meeting and then again at Tempest and and how you can get that online. And it reminded me of this experience I had in Tempest where I just like after being in it for a while, just like recognizing like there's something different about my energy when I attend this meeting than when I attend other other meetings, um, on uh, in-person meetings uh, especially. And at first I was like, oh, maybe it's because I'm not, you know, facilitating in any capacity or in leadership. Um, but it, I found that I think what it was is, is when I'm like, I'm attending the meeting from like my own safety bubble, you know, and I, I show, I can just show up and I just like, I don't have as many insecurities in a way. Like I'm able, I'm able to just really show up and just be my like bright, excited, ridiculous self a lot. It's, I'm easy. I, I can tap into that energy a lot quicker. Um, and cause I know, yeah, I'm around other people that are, you know, might be having a hard time, but when they're, when they're virtual, like, you know, it's the energy, it's almost like I absorb the energy less. Like I'm able to show up mm. and hold space and be present, but I'm, um, a little less affected. I'm in, in a way. Um, but I, I don't know, but I, I really do appreciate that, that I'm able to show up in that way. Cause it's, it was. It, I found it really helpful for me in my recovery um, to be able to show up like that. And I think that just was like, a lot, you know, connected to a lot of my own um, social anxieties as well. Um, when you were talking about Bridge Club, and I'm actually, I just read RSVP'd for the Portland Bridge Club um, because they all moved online. All the Bridge Clubs moved online and they also have a Bridge Club um, they have like a virtual bridge club that's free for anyone. It's not, it's not connected to a city. Um, yeah. And so, and I'll just say that, that bridge club is for uh, femmes and non-binary folks 
um, that's who it's open open to. But it, yeah, it's but it is free. So if anybody is interested in that, it's at Join Tempest um, Bridge Club. Yeah, I think this is really a cool time in a lot of ways because there's like, in a lot of ways, like I feel, um, especially like because I go so I've gone to, to AA meetings since I was like eighteen, and I've gone to Al-Anon on and off, and then I've been going, I've gone consistently for the last four years. And like those meetings, AA meetings are easy to find everywhere. Al-Anon meetings are relatively easy. Um, and I've always struggled to find support for, um, for eating disorder recovery, um, that felt safe, that felt accessible. Um, and I joined EDA, like I found out about it like last year and I, um, started looking into it and like, it's so small, you know, and like, thank God I know like Valentine and like other people that are like in these recovery communities that have smaller community. Cause I feel like, um, seeing people kind of demonstrate like, it's okay. Like, I feel like I've had conversations with Valentine where you talk about that experience with Tempest and like the connections that you've made and like, it's fine. Like it doesn't have to be the you know, feel the same. Um, and I've done phone meetings for years. Um, but it, I never would try like a zoom. I was like, Oh, I'm not going to do that. Um, and it's been like really wild. I started a meeting here for EDA in town and I was like, okay, I'm going to do more phone and meetings because I need to like get more connection to this group. If I'm going to like be trying to help facilitate this group here. And, um, and I did that a lot for the last year, but only in the recent weeks have I really found myself being like, I need more support. And simultaneously, all these groups that were like invisible before because they were face-to-face -face meetings in other places around the world or around the country are all going online. And I started like going to more meetings and like seeing people and feeling so much more connected than I had. And like, you know, I have queer and trans um, community in the the other 12-step meetings I go to in AA, there's like a lot of queer and trans people in the fellowships where I go and even in Al-Anon. Um, but I had not found that in this other program. And all of a sudden, like I started connecting with people like all over the world. And, um, and it's also created new stuff. This morning before coming on here, I went to the first ever um, trans, intersex, and non-binary EDA meeting online, which was like so incredible because I've been like, I wish there was this thing. Like I wish there was you know, spaces. And I think that's a thing that is um, just getting to be reminded of how much connection is available. And also like, I might not see what's available. And I think a lot of the like recovery, like sort of like taking the next step along the path of like, how do I, where do I go from here is about sort of like trying to, trying to like find that part of me that's like open to possibility or like open to like trusting that like there's going to be something there if I reach out my hand. Like I might not see it and I might not know what it is yet. Um, but how can I keep trying and keep looking even if I don't know what it is? Because I, I like think that I think that one of the hallmarks of addiction, trauma and mental illness, as well as like being the trauma from like being a marginalized in a marginalized group is this intense um, feeling of isolation that happens like on every level, like emotionally, physically, spiritually feeling isolated um, or feeling like I'm the only one or no one's going to be able to relate or like I've, you know, I'm too messed up or I'm too weird or I've done something that's too terrible, you know, to ever really be able to like connect um, and feel a part of. And um, I think that that's one thing that 
when I continue along this path, like I'm constantly surprised by the more people I meet, the more I'm constantly sort of amazed at like, you know, if people would always say when I was newer in recovery, they'd be like, if there's a name for it, somebody's done it before. <laughs> and that was really helpful when I first started like sharing some things with like my sponsors, like I did this thing and like this thing seems really weird. And, um, and yeah, so I don't know. If this is a good time for it, I'd like to offer a practice. Um, cool. And um, and so this practice sort of in, in the spirit of like connection um, and also kind of in the spirit of gratitude is like a gratitude and appreciation are like in connection are probably like three of the biggest sort of pillars of what my recovery is based on right now. And those are things that I see that are really common in all these different spaces. Um, and I, yeah, I want to offer something. It's kind of like sort of borrowed from a part of a meditation that Venerable Pranavati offered at Seattle Meditation Insight Center and also kind of like adapted based on other practices that I've just um, gotten to do with other teachers and in other places over the years. Um, and in the 12-step groups where I'm a part of, people talk about using gratitude as a tool a lot. Usually people don't like that tool very much. <laughs> um, but I did a lot of work with it in the last year, and it totally reshaped my mind in a different way, like to focus on the things that are there, the things that are working, the things... Um, and opening up space for what I might not know to be there. Um, and another thing I'll say about it too, real quick, is when I do a practice of gratitude, whether that's making a list or whether that's like meditating on it, something that's been really helpful is to shift it to a deep, to depersonalize the things that I'm appreciating. So for example, rather than saying, um, I'm grateful for my home, I just say that I'm grateful for a home. I'm grateful that I have safe, stable shelter rather than I'm grateful for my job, my car, these things that like shifting the, the focus to this thing is here. It could change, but I'm really grateful that it's here right now um, because it's not a guarantee and like depersonalizing it in that way. So if you just want to take a moment to maybe close your eyes or just sort of tune into your body, maybe your breath or the sound around you, whatever feels like it's a good anchor. And then start to bring into your awareness just something in your physical surroundings. You could look at it with your eyes or you could just envision it in your mind. It could be an object, 
or it could be the space that you're in. And just starting to contemplate all of the people, all of the elements that have gone into allowing that thing to be or to exist. Considering how many hands may have touched that object or the materials in the space around you. How many people, how many parts of this world have gone into or had some relationship with this thing or this place coming into existence in the form that you now are in relationship with it, bringing it to the place where you are, How many people are responsible or have been in some relationship with this thing or this place? And then expanding that contemplation to the other parts of your life the clothes that you're wearing the home that you live in the technology that you're using to connect to this practice And just contemplating how many people had some impact, had some role in allowing those things to come to be. The people that grow harvest and produce and package the food that we eat, who transport it, the people that make the clothes that I buy and wear, the home that I live in, anything that's a part of my life, however large or small, that contributes to my sense of well-being, my sense of happiness, my sense of stability, 
just considering how many people are responsible for my happiness. The list could go on and on. In a single day, they could not all fit in the block that you live on, in the building that you're in. In a single day, they could not all fit in the city that you live in. How many people are responsible for the things that we have that allow us to support our lives? And then expanding that to the more than human world. To all of the objects that were created by humans or by the earth. To all of the living things that have somehow been impacted or have offered something that contributes to this world that we live in. All of the living things carrying on their lives, all of those things that offer their existence that willingly or unwillingly offer their lives so that we may experience a sense of stability, happiness, to live another day. And recognizing that we are connected in a much greater way than we may realize. We are in relationship all the time in a much greater way than we consider. We are responsible in a much different way and that we can appreciate in a much different way than we have.
If you want to open your eyes, that's now is a good time. Normally, this would be a kind of meditation that could be followed by in contemplating or listing on paper things that we can appreciate in our lives, things that we can feel gratitude about or for in our lives. But we're just going to wrap it up now. Thank you so much, Stevie. Thank you all. Thank you, Stevie. One thing that emerged for me during that CV was this, like, harking back to Cliff in the beginning, talking about this consciousness, you know, on a consciousness level, that this trauma is affecting all of us. And, and the the interdependence and the generosity and the support systems, the shared responsibilities are just, are also true, are at the same time true. Not to gloss over all the inequities that make those, make those possible or that are embodied in those, but. Um, yeah. I think one thing that I feel like someone taught me about thinking about gratitude or appreciation too is to also make space not only for the things that I'm happy about, like I'm happy that I have food to eat, but also making space that like this food might have been grown in a way that caused harm or might have been harvested in a way that caused harm that there that there is that humans, that like I and other people, like that we have the capacity to hold those things, all of those things at once. And, um, and like not going so far to one extreme where I'm like only just, just drowning in the trauma and the grief and the pain or going too far to the other extreme where I'm just trying to focus on what feels good and being really delusional about what, what's responsible for me getting to eat or be in a safe home right now or to like have financial s stability or whatever the things are that are working and um that there's always space for both of those things and like using that practice as a way to kind of like notice well, if i'm going too far to one extreme or the other um what are some ways that i can sort of consider what's working in the spite of the things that maybe are really a struggle on what are some ways that i can hold space for and feel appreciation for the things that are painful or the struggles that other people are having or that I'm having, um, even though like my life is okay in this moment, or even though in this moment, like I have these needs met, um, and recognizing that it's temporary and that there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of suffering. And there's also a lot of like things that are really, um, okay in any given moment. There's a lot that's okay. Thank you. Hi, I'm Vimla Sara, President of the Buddhist Recovery Network. 
Our mission is to help promote the use of Buddhist teachings and practices to help people recover from the suffering caused by addictive and or compulsive behaviors. Our organization is a volunteer-run nonprofit which has expenses. We offer free monthly live teachings on the Academy, free resources on our website, and all our podcasts are free. We also organize a bi-yearly summit where many of us come together. We rely on the generosity of you, our listeners, and our interviewees in order to produce these offerings. We are asking you to donate to help with our expenses. Thank you. And to show our gratitude for your support, all Patreon supporters will receive access to special guided meditations. To unlock these, please offer your support by going to patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Again, patreon.com forward slash Buddhist Recovery Network. Thank you so much for your generosity. May all beings be free from the roots and the causes of suffering. May all beings be at peace. Mm-hmm.